Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 50 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, just want to remind you that you have one week left to go sign up for Rails Ramp-Up at railsrampup.com. And we have a special guest, and that is Steve Cloida. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Um, I met Steve at the New Media Expo. He was uh, hanging out with a bunch of us from Cliff Ravenscraft's podcast, Mastermind. And uh, it turns out that he knows a lot about prospecting for uh, potential clients. And uh, it seems like that's one of the hard things that we have to do as programmers to find new clients. So I invited him to the show, and we are happy to have you. It's really great to be here. And yes, so... Uh, you know, we're all searching for new clients at one point or another, and it's probably one of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs, small business owners, and salespeople face on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm really excited to be here to talk about it because this is my passion. Awesome. And you, you're also the podcasting expert at thepodcastingexpert.com, correct? Yes, the prospecting expert. Or yes. pro <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. The prospecting expert, uh, dot com is my website address. And then I have a, a podcast that I do every week called the Prospecting Minute Podcast. Is it longer than a minute, I take it? Actually, it's three to five minutes. Uh, salespeople tend to have a very short attention span. And some of my, you know, I do interview some people and sometimes they go 25 or 30 minutes, but the average show is between five and seven minutes in length. I like to give them quick, short pieces of information that they can go out and apply immediately. Awesome. That sounds terrific. So um, is there a secret to being a good prospector or to prospecting for clients? Well, I think it really starts, you know, at, at the base of the passion. You know, why do we get out of bed every day? What is, what is your why? And, and I, I want like to go back to the 1840s to really understand the secret to prospecting. And, and if you look at, you know, the 1850s, 1840s, when we had the gold rush in California, you know, you had Hector the prospector go out and he had a tool in his hand. And the tool of the day to prospect for gold was a tin pan. And he would go to the stream and he would prospect. And when he found the gold nugget, he would run into town. He'd cash in that gold nugget and then he stopped prospecting, right? No, that never, ever happened. When the stream dried up, old Hector found another stream. And when that stream dried up, he might have found a mine. But successful salespeople never stop prospecting. So when we understand that, that's the first thing that we can never stop. I mean, I've been in sales for 32 years and I had a, I had a prospecting call this morning. I've never stopped putting new potential customers into my pipeline, but the foundation for it is the passion. 
Are you passionate about what you do? Do you believe in the products and the services that you represent? And the way that I like to talk about it is if, if uh, Chuck, if you had the cure for cancer, how many cancer patients would you approach every day? All of them. All of them. All right. So if you really believe that you have the cure for cancer and, and if you look at every business issue that's out there today, all the problems that salespeople solve and all the technology that we have, if you believe that, then it's our moral responsibility to go out and approach those people to show them that you can solve their problem. That's the heart of it. That's the really the foundation of it. All right. So um, it seems like a lot of people kind of delineate between prospecting and selling. So prospecting is, I guess, getting them into the pipelining and then selling is getting them to come out the other end and give you money. Exactly. And, and if you look at the definition of prospecting, the definition is in search of or to labor for. And we're all searching for new customers, and we're also searching for new business from our existing customers. And I like what you just said, Chuck. There is a difference between prospecting and sales. Okay, so once you've identified your prospect, then you need to put them through your sales process. So when, when do they stop being a prospect and start being a lead? Well, as a, as a salesperson, after we've identified that we can truly, truly help them, all right? And there's terminology in the marketplace that goes, okay, until I talk to them, they're a suspect. Once I've talked to them and qualified them, then they become a prospect. Once I've had an initial conversation and an in-depth conversation about the problems that they have, then from there then they become a potential client and then I put them through my sales process. So, you know, every, every salesperson, every entrepreneur, every small business owner, they really identify them in different ways. But we as, and, and I'm just going to say this, we're all in sales. Okay. And the reason that I say that both Eric and Chuck, have you seen a good movie lately? Mm-hmm. All right. Did you tell somebody about it? Probably. All right. Do you have children? Oh yes. Four. When they want to go when they want to go to the mall, how many times will they ask you to take them to the mall? <laughs> Until two things happen. One, they're at the mall or two, they're in the room, but they're going somewhere, right? Yep. <laughs> so somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, we lost that for whatever reason. And when I say the word salesperson, Chuck, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Honestly, it's it's somebody that works hard. <laughs> Because sales okay. is, is tricky, but I think I know where you're going with this. Right. I mean, right. It, it's a, some, somebody that works hard, okay? But when we were growing up, we, first of all, we were taught never to talk to strangers, and we were taught never to talk to salespeople oh, yeah. because salespeople had a bad image, all right? It's not true. I mean, we're all in sales. We're all selling our ideas. We're selling our concepts, whether you have an official role as a salesperson or you're within an organization and you're selling your ideas or your concepts to other people. Daniel Pink just wrote a book. Uh, it's a really a great, great book. Uh, and he did a lot of research about sales and, you know, where we've come from over the last 150, 200 years. It's called To Sell is Human. And one out of every nine Americans has a sales position. 
And 40 to 50% of Americans out there have a position where they're constantly selling their ideas to other people, but it's not what you'd call an official sales role, if you will. Yeah, that makes, yeah, that a, that lot makes a lot of sense. Um, so, Eric, do you have any questions for Steve before I pepper him with more? Because I've got a whole bunch. Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of, I don't quite understand where prospecting fits in. I mean, kind of the way I do business is I'll have marketing, which is kind of the, I put stuff out there to attract you know potential clients, and then they come in and they go into my sales process where I basically qualify them, figure out if I can help them, and then go through communication with them, and then we either decide that we can work together or we you know, aren't a good fit. So where in that is prospecting? Is that basically like the first step of my sales process? Well, it could be your first step of your sales process, but you know, you said something very important. We do marketing and then they come into our sales process. So, you know, and, and I'm not a marketing expert and, and there is a difference between marketing and sales. Let's take the word prospecting out of it for a minute because marketing really supports sales and marketing creates an interest in our target audience or at our target audience. And then our target audience raises their hand and says, yes, I'm interested or like to learn more. And then they become in our sales process. You, you could even almost call that prospecting in a way. Okay. I mean, because that's kind of how I look at it is for me, my marketing is a lot of broadcast. Like I'll do writing and it goes out to you know the world. And then from there, there's a couple of people that might raise their hands and say, hey, Talk exactly. to me, I have a problem. And that's when it's, that's the shift to the sales side for me. Exactly. And, and you really are prospecting because you're in search of new customers or people that raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested. I want to learn more. You know, prospecting has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and it really came out of the gold rush. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat as Eric, to be honest. I mean, I have the podcasts, um, I have people come into the newsletters, um, but they kind of self-select at each level and then you know they, they come to me and say hey i need your help and so you know there's not as much of the active going out and finding people as much as it's you know putting a lot of content out there and then you know people coming back exactly okay so let me let me back up here a second the, the conversation that i had with this prospect this morning he read one of my blogs he reached out to me sent me an email and said i'd love to talk to you we set up a time to talk on the telephone. He's a prospect. My marketing efforts or my blogging or my podcasting, that's to me, because, you know, I've been in this for, you know, 32 years. To me, that's prospecting, even though, you know, you can call it marketing and marketing is, you know, when I think of marketing, I think of very, very large organizations that have, you know, millions of dollars of budget that put out ads and stuff like that. But we're maybe, maybe those, maybe those terms are in, integrated, you know, maybe marketing and sales and prospecting are really all, all really, there's three separate functions there, but they're all integrated and you, and you can't, you're not going to get a new customer without doing some sort of marketing and prospecting at the same time. But when they come into your funnel, okay, so you have somebody that raised their hand, they've come into your funnel, they are considered a prospect. Mm -hmm. And then you learn more about that individual, whether they're, you know, whether they're doing a questionnaire or they're doing a survey or, or you're having a phone conversation or you're Skyping or, or whatever it is, then you're starting to identify and qualifying that individual to see if there's a good fit. And I think a great example of that is Cliff. You know, 
I was introduced to Cliff a number of years ago. We had a conversation. He asked a lot of questions of me and, and what was important to me. And then ultimately, I became a client of his. Yeah, I and, and, you know, I think that's a terrific way of doing it. I do want to ask you, though, are there other ways of prospecting other than the content creation and then bringing people back? Yes, and I want to talk about the different tools, okay? And that's why I referred to Hector, the prospector. He had a tool, and it was a tin pan. Well, today we have several tools. When I started, when I started out in sales 32 years ago, I was given a telephone and a, and a desk and a pat on the back and said, go get them, Tiger. Every once in a while, I would send out what they called a pre-approach letter to warm the prospect or suspect up, and then I would follow up with a telephone call. We didn't have voicemail. We didn't have email. Okay, today we have email. There's 2.6 million emails sent out every single day. The average email is opened up within 90 minutes. We have text messaging. 14 trillion text messages were sent last year, and the average text message is responded to within 90 seconds. We have video to utilize as a tool to connect and engage with our target audience. Now we have social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. We have all these different tools in which to connect and engage. Before the show today, I saw both of you having a conversation on Twitter. I mean, that's a tremendous tool. I use Twitter. I use Facebook. I use all these different tools to really connect and engage with my target audience. I do a lot of blogging. I do a lot of podcasting. I've got videos up on YouTube. I've had over a quarter million views on my videos, and that's not a lot by, you know, Ford standards. You know, they've had 15 million views or something like that. But today in the 21st century, it's, there's a lot of different avenues that we need to utilize to one, connect, educate, and engage our target audience. Now, I don't know if that answered your question. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's a much broader sense because the world has become a lot more complicated, but we can't get away from the basics and the fundamentals and the humanness, the humanness of connecting, educating, and engaging our audience. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of digesting what you just said. And it, it really makes sense. I mean, when, when it comes down to it, the, the people that are going to convert all the way to sales are the ones that you make the connection with. It's not, it's not the people who, you know, I, I, it does happen. I've had a few people call me up and say, hi, I'm so and so and I want to hire you. But, right. but it doesn't happen that often. Most of the time I'm talking through their needs and figuring out what they want. And, well, that's it. That's it. And, you know, it's like, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I'm just saying that that's really where it's about. And even with the people who call up and say, hey, I want to hire you, I still have to go through that process just to make sure that I can help them out. Well, that's it. And everybody, how they do sales is different. I, I work with a lot of corporate clients and their sales force are utilizing LinkedIn, the telephone, voicemail, and email to connect and educate their prospects. And the purpose of the connection may be to set up a phone call. The purpose of the connection may be to set an appointment. I have individuals that utilize only LinkedIn as a prospecting tool, and everybody is different. I mean, we all, we, it, and what's what I love about sales, and I've been passionate about it for 30 years, is because if we have a product or a service, 
and we really believe that it can help solve somebody's problems, like I said earlier, it's our responsibility to go out there and help them do that. Okay, so then the question is, okay, how do I do that? How do I connect? What are the tools that I'm going to utilize? Am I going to write a blog every week? Am I going to have a podcast? Am I going to get on Twitter and identify who my target people are? Am I going to connect on LinkedIn? Let me give you an example. I work with a financial advisor here in Minneapolis. His target audience is CFOs. He gets on LinkedIn every day. He does a search for all the CFOs in Minnesota. He connects with them on, on LinkedIn. If he doesn't know them, and he, he asks for a referral. So there's all these wonderful, wonderful tools, and, there, and there's really there's no magic to it. I mean, there really isn't any magic to it. It's, it's identifying who is your ideal client, then what are the tools you're going to utilize to really connect with that person? Uh, and I think it's interesting, too, because it goes back to your example of prospecting in the gold rush. I mean, you're, you're figuring out which river is most likely to yield gold. You go to the right place. You connect, you know, eff effectively with the right person and dig up a nugget. That's it. That's the, that's the whole thing. And so I, I, don't want, I don't want prospecting to become a, a, a word around to be fearful of, of what it is. I mean, it's really all part of the sales process. The company that I founded in 1990 was the name, the name of the company was Telemasters. And we worked with salespeople in every industry imaginable. And we taught them how to master this tool to connect and engage. And in 2005, I said to my employees and my staff, I said, if we continue to only utilize this one tool, that's all we're teaching our, our customers, is utilize this one tool, we are going to be out of business in the next five years. And then in 2010, I had a wake-up call, and it just it came to me that it's really about prospecting. I mean, let me ask you a question. Has Apple stopped prospecting? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> now, they may not use the word prospecting, but look at the marketing that they do to draw you in the store. And that's the key. I mean, that is the key to the whole thing because, I mean, Apple was on the verge of bankruptcy in 1997. Steve Jobs comes back. They innovate. They don't compete. You know, some 15, 16 years later, they're one of the most valuable technology companies in the world today. Whether you like them or not, you have to respect what they've done. And they've never stopped prospecting. Now, they'll never use the word prospecting. And Eric, I like what you said a couple of minutes ago that you don't really look at it as prospecting, but you're marketing exactly like Apple is marketing to get people to raise their hands. And I think what happens is people make it way too complicated. And I just finished reading a book called uh, the, the Icarus Deception by uh, Seth Godin. It's a phenomenal book. One of the top five books I've read in the last 25 years. And it's all, and he talks about connecting, connecting with people in a very unique and a very real way. And Gary Vaynerchuk wrote that book, Thank You Economy. The same thing. People are looking for the mom and pop shop on the corner again. And that's, and it doesn't matter whether you're doing that through a blog or you're doing that through podcasting. How are you going to help solve the problems of the people that are around you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we want to get into the nuts and bolts, what are some of the things that we can do to make our prospecting better or to connect better with people, I guess? 
Well, the first thing, yeah, and, and, and this is a really important step, is, is the first thing is that you really have to identify who your audience is. I mean, it's really, it, and, and I know it sounds really so simple, what we really have to identify. So let me, let, me give, let me give you an example. I love to fly fish for trout. One of my favorite trout streams in, is in northern Minnesota. It's about five hours away. I know when I go there, I'm going to catch trout. Now, there are several lakes within 30 to 45 minutes of my house, and I can go to every one of those lakes and I can fly fish for trout, but I will never, ever catch one. Why? Because there ain't no trout in them there lakes. So if you want to find out who your target audience is, first of all, you have to identify who they are and where do they hang out. Most of my clients hang out on LinkedIn. However, I love Twitter and I love to play around on Twitter. I love to joke on Twitter and have fun. And I do have some clients on Twitter, but most of them are on LinkedIn. So if I want to get serious, if I'm going to prospect, I need to connect and engage with them on LinkedIn. So now let me take that to the next level. All right. So first of all, we have to identify who it is, where they hang out. The second thing is we have to really understand our audience and what they want. Now, there's two parts to that. Sometimes they don't know what they want. All right. I'll give we, you an example. We never experienced that as developers. Oh, do never. Ever. Yeah. Everyone knows exactly what they want. Yep. Well, do either of you guys have an iPhone? Yes, I do. Okay. We didn't know we needed this iPhone until Steve Jobs showed us we needed it. Now, if Steve, and I've heard this many times, so I'm not taking anything out of context. Steve Jobs did not believe in focus groups. Why? Because people don't know what they want. They don't know what they want. And see, we as entrepreneurs, small business owners, Eric, Chuck, we are supposed to help our audience, help them to identify what they want. Now, some of them do know what they want. So let me give you another example. And some don't know what they want. So a couple of years ago, I was out in Glacier National Park. I hiked up into the mountains, found this beautiful lake, turquoise clear, crystal clear. I found this little feeder stream coming into the lake. I waited out on this, on this big sandy rock bar. I waited out. I'm up to my waist. And I can see trout everywhere, down about 15, 20 feet. I reach into my fly box. I pick the best fly that I've ever tied. I always catch fish on this fly. First cast, nothing. Second cast, nothing. Now, this goes on for about 20 minutes. I'm frustrated. Open up my box again, pick out another fly. This goes on for about three hours, no trout. And I said to myself, geez, if I was a trout, I would have taken every one of those flies. And then it dawned on me, I'm not a trout. I open up my fly box. I find the ugliest fly I can find. I don't even know where I got this fly. I put it on, first cast, bam, this beautiful, beautiful cutthroat trout. Within 45 minutes, I caught several cutthroat trout. It taught me a valuable lesson. Prior to that, I could see the trout coming up to my fly, but they turned. Once they saw it, they turned. They really weren't curious. They really didn't know what they wanted. That last, that first trout that I caught on that ugly fly knew exactly. So we have our audience. Some of them know exactly what they want, 
and others don't know exactly what they want. So we have to, one, we have to help them. And I like, Eric, what you said a little while ago. You know, I put things out there until somebody raises their hand and says, yes, hi, hi, I'm interested. So those people do. And it's it's continually taking the pulse of who our target audience is and our customers and asking them really, really good questions. And then sometimes they don't know, and we got to keep throwing flies at them until they really say, yep, that's the one that I want. So that's really the beginning to make this whole, and I'm going to, and I'm going to really combine prospecting and sales because they are really integrated. Okay. Whether the prospecting is really at the front end and then we put them into our sales process is really the middle. And then at the back end of it is the next step. This is where we engage our audience. All right. This is where we engage them to do business with us, us to do business with them. So there's really a three-step process. We connect, we educate, and the only way we can educate them is to really understand them. And by educating them, we have to ask them really good questions. And then the third thing is we engage them. Okay. So um, let's just start at the beginning then. Um, I mean, I, I think we do a lot of this naturally. A lot of it is just something that, you know, a lot of us have the knack for is just talking to people. And so connecting and, you know, educating and asking the right questions to a certain degree is kind of a natural thing. Now, some people more than others, obviously, but what kinds of things can we do to kind of help our ability to connect first? And then we'll kind of move through the other steps. Well, it it, it really comes down to the purpose. All right. It, it comes down to why do we want to connect with this person? I'd like to share a story. Have, have you guys seen the movie, The Wizard of Oz? Yes. Okay. That movie taught us everything that we need to know about the entire sales process. So I'd like to share that story with you because it, it really answers your question and, and actually a lot more. There were five major questions that were answered in that movie. The first question is purpose. The second question was who. The third question is what was the game plan? The fourth question is what was the solution? And the fifth question was what is the next step? All right. So in answer to your question, it all starts at the beginning. What is the purpose of the call? What is the purpose of this blog? What is the purpose? What is the purpose of the podcast? What is the purpose of me connecting with this individual on LinkedIn? What is the purpose of me sending this tweet? The purpose of the tweet, the purpose of LinkedIn, the purpose of the call, the purpose of the emails to keep the purpose, the purpose. So it all starts with purpose. Second major question. Who are the right people? I talked a few minutes ago about your audience. Who are the right people that you need to talk to to help solve their problems? Number three, there's always, always a game plan to get from point A to point B. I love what you said, Eric. You write a blog. Somebody, somebody raises their hand. Now they come into your sales process. That's part of your game plan. Now, once they become into your sales process, then the next question, what is the potential solution for this individual or this company or whomever? And then number five is what is the next step? And there is always a next step. So let's apply these questions to the movie, The Wizard of Oz, because The Wizard of Oz taught us this. All right. So I'm going to test your memory here. All right. So what was Dorothy's primary purpose throughout that entire movie? 
Chuck. To get home. <clears throat> to get back home, all right? So she lands in Munchkin land. The house falls on the Wicked Witch, killing the Wicked Witch. Her primary purpose throughout the entire movie was to get back home. So she lands in Munchkin land, and then here comes Glinda. Here comes Glinda the Good Witch. She comes down in the bubble, and Dorothy immediately asks her for help. I need help. How do I get back to Kansas? And the first thing that Glinda said is you need to go see the wizard in Emerald City. I don't know if he could help you, but if anybody could help you, he could help you. She goes, great. How do I get there? You remember? Follow the yellow brick road to get from Munchkin land to Oz. Okay, so Dorothy sets out on this path on the yellow brick road, and she's skipping and jumping. Now, Glinda did not tell her about all the obstacles she was going to run into, did she? Nope. She just painted this very, very beautiful picture of Emerald City and Oz and how gorgeous it is and all of that. So Dorothy starts out, and she's on her path, and the first person she runs into is who? The Scarecrow. All right. She runs into the Scarecrow, and now they have to make a decision. Because remember, the Yellow Brick Road split into three. So what do they do? I don't remember. I remember the song. Well, they started. (laughs) They just took a guess. All right. They took a guess and said, oh, this looks like a pretty good way to go. Sometimes that's the way it is in life. Sometimes there is no sure path. And sometimes as entrepreneurs and salespeople, we're making decisions all the time about how to take our customers down the right path. And sometimes they're not really sure of what they want to do. All right. Now, let's go back to Munchkinland. Glinda didn't tell Dorothy of all the obstacles she's going to run into. She did not tell her that the Wicked Witch was going to come along and light the Scarecrow on fire. She didn't tell her that she was going to run into the Tin Man that was frozen. She didn't also tell the tell Dorothy that she was going to get into the poppy field and they were all going to fall asleep. She did not want to discourage them. And I think a lot of times in sales, we take our eye off the ball. We take our eye off the prize by staying focused on the purpose. The entire purpose of that movie, Dorothy's purpose was to get back home. So that got her through the tough times, got her through all the difficult when they fell asleep and, and, the, and the witch came and all of that. All right, so they picked up the Tin Man, they picked up the scare, or the Lion, they made it to Emerald City, they knock on the door, and the guard sticks his head through that little port window and mm-hmm. says, what do you want? Well, we're here to see the wizard. Nobody sees the wizard. Nobody, nobody has ever seen the wizard. And he starts to close the little porthole. And she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you know there's even a wizard? And he goes, don't bother me with all that stuff. And he starts to close the porthole. And she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Glinda the good witch sent me. He goes, well, why didn't you say so? That's the power of a referral. Every single day in the marketplace, you and I, Eric, we're writing, we're blogging, we're podcasting, we're connecting with people. Isn't it a lot easier to talk to somebody that that we've been introduced to? It's like, Chuck, I met you the first time at New Media Expo. 
we'd never met before. Even though we're in the podcast mastermind, you're in another group. Mm -hmm. And you came up to me. You mentioned to me that you were in the podcast mastermind and you were talking to somebody and that we should connect. That was your referral into our conversation. And it immediately got it immediately got my attention. So they get in to see the wizard. And the wizard says, Here's the solution. What was the solution? He said, You bring me the blank, and I will grant all of you your wish. It was the wicked witch's broom, right? There you go. Very good. It was the wicked witch's broom. So they got the witch's broom. Help me, help me, help me. And then witch melted. They got the broom. They ran back to Oz. They ran down. Remember, they ran down that long hallway. They set the broomstick in front of the wizard, and the credits started to roll, and the movie was over, right? <laughs> Not didn't quite, happen. huh? <laughs> didn't happen, did it? No, nope. it didn't happen at all. What was, okay, here's question number five. What was the next step for the lion? Didn't he get a medal, get his courage? Yes, he got a medal. Very good. You've seen the movie recently, right? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, so you have really. a very good, you've got a very good memory. So what was the uh, next step for the Tin Man? He got his heart. Got his heart. What was the next step for the Scarecrow? He got a diploma. Yes. And, and what brain. was it and for his brain? And what, it, and what was the next step for Dorothy? He to was going to take her home in his balloon because he, there you go. There you go. Couldn't do it any other way. The Wizard of Oz gave us an entire sales process. What is the purpose? Who are the right people that I can help? What is the game plan for this call? What is the game plan for this blog? What is the game plan for this podcast? What are the potential solutions for my target audience? And what is the next step? And there's always, always a next step. In your sales process, somebody waves their hand. They come into your sales process. There's always a next step after that and a step after that and a step after that. I hope that answered your question in a roundabout way, but I love sharing that story because people can really relate to that because we've all seen the movie, The Wizard of Oz, and there's five easy questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. So, so how do you identify what the best next step is? I mean, for some people, you know, they kind of lead you to the next step. It's something that you do often enough to where it's, they say something, it triggers the next step. It's, it's just an easy thing, but sometimes it's not exactly clear what the right, right next thing is. And this usually goes hand in hand with, they don't know what they want. So, exactly. So, so how do you way, nail that down? Well, the way that I look at that, you're the director of a movie. All right. So picture this, you're the director of a movie. You got a hundred million dollar budget everybody's looking at you, Chuck, you're the director, you're sitting in the director's chair, actors are standing around the set designers, costume designers, the movie, the everybody's standing around. They're going, Chuck, what do you want us to do? You're telling me to make it up, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And that's the moment of truth where it's, it's like, okay, we go to the doctor, we got a, we got a pain, we have a problem, we don't know what's wrong. They ask, us a, they ask us a lot of questions, don't they? Then they go out and they run out and they get some tests and then they come back and they go, you know, I really, I really don't know. You'd run, you wouldn't walk. Doctors are very confident. They take us down a path. So based on our ability to ask questions, and this can come into a face-to-face -face meeting. This can come through email. This can come through LinkedIn, Twitter. It doesn't matter. 
Once we've asked the right questions, they have a better understanding. They're looking to us to help them. As I said a little while ago, some of them really don't know, you know, exactly what it is that they want. So let me paint a different story for you. So a couple of years ago, my son broke his collarbone snowboarding. And doctors are really good at asking questions. So we take him to the specialist, the surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon, and the surgeon comes in and sits down and looks my son right in the eyes and says, tell me about it. Where does it hurt? When did it happen? How did it happen? Show me where you fell. Oh, spent about 15 minutes with him. He said, okay, let's get a picture of it. They go out, take an x-ray, comes back about 20 minutes later, puts the x-ray up, and he says, well, you can see it's broken. We have two options here. One, we're going to put it in a sling. You're going to be really uncomfortable for the next three or four weeks, but eventually it will fuse back together. That's option one. Option two, we can do surgery. Now, you're going to be in a lot of pain for at least a week. After three or four weeks, you won't even know that you broke your collarbone. And they, he looks at my son and he says, what would you like to do? Dad, I want the pain to go away. Okay. The doctor looks at us and says, okay, when can you get in here for surgery? I said, well, what's available? He says, I've got some availability tomorrow morning at 7.30. I said, we'll be here. He helped us make a decision that was good for us. Eric, that's what you do. Chuck, that's what you do. That's what we all do. And sales isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad name. We help people make decisions that are good for them. And it goes back to your question. Some people, you know, they, they really don't know. So they're looking to us as the professional to guide them. I'll give you another example. Interviewing a potential coach right now. I've had coaches throughout my life and I'm looking at another coach right now and got together with her for coffee and she said, so what do you want to solve? And she asked me a bunch of questions and she says, well, so what do you want to, what do you want to solve? And I said, you're the coach. I need you to help me through this dilemma. I need you to guide me through this dilemma. I don't even know what I want. I don't even know how to solve this issue. So I think it, it, it really comes in where, you know, whether you're running an online business, you're running a brick and mortar business, a retail store, uh, you're calling B2B or you're, you know, your consumers or your target audience. It's really about putting yourself in the shoes of the other person and try and see it from their point of view. I like it. I like it. All right. I have another question. And this one's something that I'm really not very good at and not very good about. And that is referrals. Um, you brought it up before. How do you go about getting referrals from people that you've worked for before? Well, the simplest thing is to ask. And 90, let's see here. Let me get the, let me get the statistic right. It's 89% of all people out there don't ask for referrals. And there's a reason for that. So let's talk about the reasons first, the psychology behind it, and then I'll share with you how to ask for referral. Okay, so why do you think that you, Eric, salespeople, entrepreneurs in general, are afraid of asking for referrals? I don't know. <laughs> Fear of rejection. All right, there it is, right there. Fear of rejection. We don't want to be rejected. We want to, we're a people pleaser. We want to be liked. Maybe we have a really good client or we have a really good relationship. 
and we don't want to rock the boat. Geez, if I ask them for a referral, I might offend them. Also, maybe we've had a bad experience. Maybe we have referred somebody to somebody, and they didn't treat them like we've been treated. That happened to me 15 years ago. 15 years ago, I couldn't believe I had a really good client of mine say, hey, you know, you've taught our people how to make these great prospecting and sales calls. You've helped increase our revenue. I want our salespeople now to start taking our clients out to lunch and getting to know them on a more personal level. But I've watched them in these situations and, geez, they don't know how to sit properly. They got food dripping down their face. I need an image consultant. I says, I happen to know somebody. So I called up this image consultant and I had known her for almost a year. I'd seen her. I watched her. Very, very professional. So I called her up and I said, I've got a really good client I've had for a number of years. It's looking for an image consultant. I told him all about you. Now let me tell you all about him. He's got a very nice company and about 75 employees and they're Christians. He has Bible study in his office. He's the owner of the company. He has Bible study in his office every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. And sometimes if there's a celebration and there's a gathering where they bring in food, they bless the food. They don't preach what you have to believe, but this is who they're very, very conservative. Just giving you a heads up. Two days later, he calls me up and he says, I can't believe you referred her to me. What were you possibly thinking? And I said, Al, what are you talking about? Well, she came in here, her dress was halfway up her rear end, she had a very low-cut top on, my wife was absolutely appalled. I said, Al, I've known this woman for a year, I have no idea what happened. So I had a bad experience, and I was hesitant about referring to anybody. All right, so there's, there's the psychology of it on both sides. The salesperson is afraid to ask out of fear of rejection. The person that you're asking for a referral, they're afraid because they don't want some bad thing to happen to the person that you're referring them to and all, all, all of that. So you got all the psychology stuff going on. The simplest way to ask, let's do a little role play, Chuck, all right? Mm -hmm. You're going to be my client. All right. Chuck, can you do me a favor? Sure. All right. You ask 90, you ask 100 people that question and 95% of the time they'll say, well, that depends. What do you need? Just like you said. So step, so there's three steps to it. Step number one, can you do me a favor? Sure, it depends. Chuck, who do you know that I should talk to about the type that I type of work that I do as it relates to sales and prospecting strategies? And you're gonna say, I don't know. I don't know. Now I didn't say, do you know of anybody? I said, who do you know? And I would say about 60 to 70% of the time you come back and say, well, I really, you know, I really don't know. And here's where you could take it to the step number three. Chuck, pretend with me for a minute that you and I are at a social gathering and we're having a glass of wine and some cheese and crackers and we're standing around talking and somebody, Eric walks up to you and you guys start having a conversation. And I don't know, Eric. Would you introduce me to Eric? Absolutely. And Chuck, that's all I'm asking for today is an introduction to somebody like you, nice person. You know, we've been doing business for about two years now. I've always treated you with respect, haven't I? Mm-hmm. I've always done what I said I was going to do, right? Yep. And you know what? You can rest assured, if you refer me to a friend of yours, they will get the same service I've always given you. I will always treat them with respect. I will always do what I say that I'm going to do. Is that fair enough? Absolutely.
So the type of person that I'm looking for is, and then I give them the criteria, boom, boom, boom. This is the type of individual that I'm looking for. And then I have a conversation about that. But I never put anybody into a corner. Now, that's one way, that's one way of acquiring referrals. You know, you go to your best clients that you want to duplicate. Another way is what I call centers of influence. Cliff Ravenscraft would be a really good center of influence, all right? Centers of influence are influential people, uh, maybe community leaders, maybe chamber members, maybe chamber presidents, Rotary Club presidents, well, you know, people that have access to others and people that respect this individual. So I'll give you another example. I have a very good center of influence in Philadelphia. I met him 15 years ago in Chicago at a workshop, and we become really good friends, and he refers a lot of business to me. Well, last fall, I called him up. His name's Scott. I said, Scott, you know, we've been sharing leads back and forth, and, you know, you referred a lot of business to me, and I'd really like to learn as much as I can about your business. I'd like to fly down to your facility. I'd like to spend a whole day with you, be a shadow if I may. Won't bother you. I might ask you some questions, take you out to lunch, whatever. It's on my nickel, not yours. Would you allow me to do that? He said, sure. He even picks me up at the airport, picks me up at the airport, takes me on a tour of the facility. I spent the whole day with him at dinner that night. I said, Scott, I really do appreciate you taking the time to out of your day. I know how busy you are, and obviously you've, you know, you've got 75 employees, and you've got your phones ringing all the time. You know, I network a lot, and I meet a lot of people. If I was having dinner with a friend of mine, how would I know that they would be an ideal customer for you? And I shut up, and he gave me three or four criteria of who his ideal customer is. That's another way to build your referral base. I mean, I haven't made a cold call in over, I'd say, 12, 13, 14 years now. I'm constantly getting, I have referral sources. I ask for referrals. I put out a lot of great content, just like you guys. You put out a lot of great content, and that's and, and people appreciate that, and they'll refer you. But it takes, at some point, it, it really takes the opportunity to ask. And it really is that simple. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, one thing I have noticed is that if they are referred, they tend to be more likely to, what's the word, to convert, I guess? Yes, exactly. Oh, absolutely. It's just like the movie The Wizard of Oz. Well, why didn't you say so and let them in? You know, and, the th and the, I have a philosophy about prospecting, sales, all this whole thing. And my philosophy is you always, always, always leave the person better than you found them. It's not rocket science. You treat people like you like to be treated, like the golden rule. You know, you treat people respectfully. And, you know, as Bob Berg said, and you've heard this before, if they know, like, and trust you, they'll do business with you. Yep. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, are there any other pearls of wisdom you have to impart to us before we get into the picks? Well, I, I think that just the biggest thing is to keep it simple. I mean, um, there's a great book out there. Well, I'll get into that, the picks in a minute here. But to keep the sales process simple, what is it that you're offering? Who's my target? Maybe what I'm offering isn't perfect. Is it going to solve their problem? And then I think the last thing is we need to ask for the business. We really do. I mean, I've outlined a lot of things here today, but we really need to ask for the business. 50% of the salespeople out there don't ask. 46% only ask once. 
So we got 96% of the sales force out there asking less than one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the top 4% of the salespeople out there ask five or more times and 60% of all sales comes on the fifth attempt. And I don't mean to slam somebody up against the wall 10 times until they bleed. That's not what it's about. Yeah. But the thing is, is that if you ask you and, and this is another thing that, that we really don't have time to get into, but if you ask, um, you may get an objection, which is just a, you know, I would, but, and then you can figure out whether or not they're a fit or whether or not they misunderstood something. Um, and you know, you can ask and maybe it's a not now. And so then you can get the circumstances under which it would be a yes now. And, and so there's a, there, yeah, there's a, it's not the end of the conversation. It's just an opportunity to, uh, you know, clear things up. Yeah. Let's talk about that objection for a minute, you know, because that's another real challenge for salespeople, entrepreneurs, small business owners. If I stuck you with a pin right now, you would say, ouch. When the client or the prospect sticks you with a pin, don't say, ouch. We've been trained as salespeople that when they say this, we're supposed to say that. When they object to this, we're supposed to come up with canned response number A2. It doesn't work. It does not work. I'll give you a couple of examples. I'm actually embarrassed about this. When I started out as a stockbroker, if you ever saw the movie Boiler Room, well, that's what it was like in the 80s. So when you told me you didn't have any money for this investment, I was thought to respond with, well, Chuck, are you always that broke? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was taught. And Eric, if you said, Steve, you know, I really got to talk to my wife about this investment, I was to respond with, well, Eric, who wears the pants in your family? You know, you do that once or twice, you get your face ripped off. I don't believe in tricks. I don't believe in manipulation. And I knew after my first week in sales that that was not the path that I was going to go down that I wanted to treat people like how I wanted to be treated. So when you're working with objections, when they stick you with the objection, just listen. Don't get defensive. Ask questions. Clarify it. You know, you, you mentioned that you're not interested. Help me to understand that. You know, what are some of the concerns about what I just shared with you? What is it about this? Ask questions to learn from their point of view. The rock band, The Who, said it better than anybody. You don't have to fight to prove you're right. Their perception is their reality, okay? Now, you may say, Steve, their reality is all messed up. Well, that may be true, but it's still their reality. And the only way to find that out, it all comes back to questions. And then you get off the objection and come back to the purpose of the call, the purpose of the meeting, and all of that. Yep, makes sense. All right. Well, we really are at the end of the time that we have allotted for this. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. And I loved it. Thanks so much for having me. It just, it's really been great being here. Yeah. And there's, there's a ton there that I've got to go back through and kind of work into what I've been doing. So, you know, like I said, I mean, it, I love doing these shows where there's as much there for me as there is for the listener. So, so that's well, good for me too, because it brings me back to the basics and the fundamentals. You know, it just reminds me so much of, you know, I, I get away from it now and then too. So, yep, absolutely. Well, um, let's go ahead and get into the picks. So Eric, what are your picks this week? Okay. So earlier this week, I watched a movie. It's called Indie Game, the movie. Um, it's on Netflix streaming, but you can also buy it on their site. Uh, it's basically kind of a documentary of a couple game companies, um, you know, independent game companies. I think it's like two of them were one-person companies, another was a two-person company, and 
they're basically trying to create and you know launch independent games on like Xbox and PC and stuff. Uh, it's really interesting because it's a it goes through a lot of the struggles of like you know doing a startup and kind of getting it out there in the world and it's not not only was it interesting and educational but it was pretty uh, entertaining just to watch all the dynamics of each of the teams. So like I said, it's on Netflix. Um, we'll also have a link to actually buy it directly from them in the show notes. Awesome. All right, so uh, I have a couple of picks this week. One of them just came in the, in, well, in the FedEx, I guess, because I have Amazon Prime. And it's something that I've kind of been wanting for a while. And um, I got a gift card from one of my clients um, for pulling some extra hours for them. And uh, it's made by a company called Anchor, I think, A-N-K-E-R. And what it is, is if you've heard of like the Mophie Juice Pack or something, um, the little battery um, battery things that you can put in your pocket and then you can plug your your USB cable into it and then you can charge up your phone or other electronic device. Um, and like I said, I've been wanting one for a while. I wind up traveling um, quite a bit and for conferences and things. And so that's what I got. I got one of those and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, anyway, it's it's something that I'm really, really excited about. It has two ports on it so that I can uh, charge up two phones at once. Um, we're going down to St. George, Utah for the home show. St. George, Utah is one of the areas that people around here tend to retire to because it's warm all year round. So they don't have to shovel their walks and they get nice weather and mm. things like that. And since, um, since a lot of folks that retire down there, retire down there, not just because it's warm, but because you can get a really nice million dollar house um, and they've, you know, done well for themselves as far as saving up for retirement. They retire down there into really nice homes. So the home show down there is actually usually better than the Salt Lake City home show because you wind up going through these million dollar homes built on lava fields that are just amazing. And so, um, anyway, I'll put a link to that show, uh, home show as well. But, uh, while we're out and about, you know, driving around the St. George area, um, a lot of times we have our phones and stuff that are helping us do navigation and stuff. And so I'm going to give it a try while we're down there and, and see how it does um, with the charging up of these devices. I don't really have any other picks, so I'm going to throw it over to Steve. I've got a couple. I hope that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I like technology and I, and I utilize technology as much as I can in my business to, you know, streamline my workflow uh, you guys have, I'm sure you've heard of Evernote. Yes. Evernote.com. I absolutely love that tool. Uh, it's cross-platform, iPhone, iPad, uh, Mac, PC, Android, uh, you name it. I could not do what I do every single day without Evernote. I have hundreds of clients. I've got notes of all my clients. I can access that information no matter where I'm at on my iPhone, iPad, uh, wherever and, and and you can cross reference and it, you know I, I do a lot of writing I do a lot of podcasting all my podcasts are in there all my notes all you know formats you know writing my book everything Evernote does a really really great job they've got some other apps called Evernote Hello have you guys heard of that one uh, Yeah I actually was introduced to it at New Media Expo. Oh. Somebody handed me their phone and said, here you go. And by the way, you should try this app. It's, it was cool. It is really, really cool. Well, they just came out with an update. So, you know, I came back from a new media expo with a lot of business cards. 
You take a picture of the business card, it scans it, it automatically sees if they're on LinkedIn, brings in all of their LinkedIn information and puts it into your contacts. It is really slick. And then they've got Evernote food. I'm a foodie. I like food. I love to cook. So, you know, if I'm out in a restaurant and, you know, I, there's a really cool meal that's presented very well, I can take a picture of it. They have hundreds and hundreds of recipes so you can keep track of the food that you eat. And, you know, I love food. Another, another one of my picks is uh, nosebe.com, N-O-Z-B-E.com. Uh, it's cross-platform again. I have a lot of, uh, independent individuals that I work with uh, from writers to designers to VAs, uh, you name it. And so we're all on Nosby. So if we're working on a project, everybody can see what everybody is doing. You can assign projects. It's absolutely wonderful. Books. Best book that I've ever read on the subject of sales was written in 1949. You can still get it on Amazon called How I Raise Myself from Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Betcher. That's B-E-T-T-G-E-R. Again, that's How I Raise Myself from Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Betcher, B-E-T-T-G-E-R. Frank was a baseball player in the early 1900s. He got injured and he went into life insurance sales. And it's his story. And my father, he gave me the original hardcover. I've got it on my desk right now. I'm looking at it. The original hardcover that was printed in 1949. And I've read that book five times. Why? Because I'm a slow learner. No, because it's got a wealth of information. And the thing I love about the book, it's all about the art of asking the right questions of the right people to produce the right results. And again, you can still get, a, I believe you can still get a, a paperback copy on uh, Amazon. I did also mention earlier in the uh, show today, uh, The Icarus Deception by Seth Godin. It's his new book. If you're serious about what you do, he calls all of us artists, whether you're writing a blog, whether you're doing a painting, a sculpture, you're solving technical problems for people, we're all artists. It's a great, great book. I highly recommend it. All so right. those are my picks. Those are my picks for today. Awesome. So they sound good. Um, actually, while we were talking, I went and bought the the Daniel Pink book that you mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's really good. It just he analyzes... He's really analyzed the whole world and, and how we've really transitioned from where we were because everybody's in sales now. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, thanks again for coming. Um, oh, thank you. It's just been really an honor and it's a privilege to be here today. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Eric. I really, really do appreciate this. And, and uh, I'll leave you and your audience with one final note of what Doc said to Marty in Back to the Future 3. He said, your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Thanks, guys.